0: it's the face of chicago business podcast introducing you to the stories behind the faces focused on fixing today's problems with thoughtful leadership and purposeful living sit down with us as we get to know the individuals who make our city second
1: to none how you guys doing i'm tony arcy and this is the face of chicago business podcast today i'm joined by life and leadership coach renee DeQuinning. renee thank you so much for being here
0: Hi Tony, it's such a pleasure to be here.
1: Yes, we've uh, we've chatted before on the Coach's Corner podcast. We did. But now we're going to get personal and talk about life uh, originally from South Africa and what it was like to end up here in Chicago, right?
0: Yes, absolutely. Yes, it's been a journey.
1: So now you were born and raised um, in South Africa and also started a family in South Africa, right?
0: Yes, we did. Um, yeah, so. yeah, Actually, one part of that you didn't—you don't know—and um, I'll get there. But yes, uh, grew up in South Africa, uh, got married, went to, went to college, got married, um, and then adopted two boys. Oh wow! Um, yeah, so that's the part you didn't know. They yeah, did my, not both know both my that. boys are adopted, um, and uh, they're now grown up, uh, thank goodness, and they're off the books, which is even better. <laughs> um, and yes, yeah, so. Uh, Originally from South Africa.
1: How old were they when you adapted them?
0: They were uh, freshly born.
1: Wow. Yes. Wow.
0: Yes. My oldest was 24 hours old when we saw him for the first time. My God. Yeah. And my youngest, we were actually at his birth.
1: That is amazing.
0: It is pretty amazing. Yes.
1: That is very, very amazing. Now, how old are they now, if you don't mind me asking?
0: They are 27 and 24. Oh, amazing. Yeah. And they're
1: living in Chicago still?
0: No. Uh, Well, one is living in the suburbs of Chicago Mm. near Elgin. Oh, nice. And the other one is living, I think, his best life. (laughs) He lives in Oceanside between San Diego and Los Angeles. I used to live there. You did in okay. Oceanside. I did. No way. Well, that's
1: where Camp Pendleton is. So yeah, that uh, is true. Yeah. So, yes. Uh, yes, and
0: uh, yes. My oldest has a connection to that as well, since he is a marine. That's so, amazing. Uh.
1: See, look at that. So many, <laughs> so many similarities. Um, right. But so your your uh, your husband obviously from South Africa as well. Absolutely. Yes. You spend you started your career there. Yes, I did. And then eventually. Um, what is it, seven years after you started with BP? Correct. You went to to London, right? But tell me what you were doing professionally for, for BP and also uh, prior to that.
0: Um, I started my career as a market researcher, um, sort of stumbled into it. I don't think anybody goes to school and says, I want to be a market researcher. <laughs> I went to school and needed a job and got a job in a market research company and they did really good training. So I got really good schooling in the technicalities of market research, um, which is fascinating, but I won't bore Mm -hmm. you with it. I think it's fascinating. But market
1: research seems like it would be something that would help you now and what you're doing as far as maybe those analytical skills, right? Oh,
0: absolutely. Well, analytical, but also the ability to ask the right question.
1: Yeah, so important.
0: And, and, And listen, you know, there's no point in um, if you're a coach in you speaking all the time, because <laughs> that's not coaching. Right. Coaching is listening, engaging with a person, uh, supporting that person on their journey and uh, years and years of practice to learn how to ask questions. Yeah. Um, and although you do it in a different way, there are definitely crossovers. Um, you know, a type of research uh, that is called qualitative research, it's focus groups, in-depth interviews. Those are all open-ended questions that you ask people mm-hmm. to gather information. The more information you have, the better the questions you can ask. And so it just builds on one or the other. You would know that <laughs> as an interviewer, right? Absolutely. You, you, The more you know about me, the better the questions well, you can ask. No one wants to hear me talk. They, they <laughs> want to hear you
1: talk. So. <laughs> but also you know the thing that that we've been we talked about before and just how fascinating it is to me especially after everything that we've seen you know culturally in terms of of race the time that you were growing up in south yeah. africa was uh was a very challenging time for for the people right
0: it was uh, you know i was growing up in the 60s and 70s mm-hmm. where um apartheid was still very much uh just and, the norm right it was uh in the, on the it was a law, right. and uh, there were separate schools, separate pretty much everything opportunity f- opportunities uh, between the blacks and whites. You the, couldn't even
1: marry, right? I mean, that's part that was part oh, of the Oh no, it, right? not right. at all. No, right.
0: blacks couldn't vote, um, and it was they were pretty much uh, under uh, what's the word that I'm looking for <laughs> lower class, seen as lower class citizens, right. um, and not. Uh, appreciated for the talents that they could bring to the world and to the country. Um, and then uh, after we were married, we were probably married a co- what almost ten years uh, when the um, when apartheid finally uh, came to an end and Mandela mm-hmm. uh, was uh, elected president and I remember the first time both whites and blacks could vote. All citizens within the country.
1: And it was for that election that got him voted. to
0: That's president. that ele- election that got him voted right, in right, as right. president. Um, and everybody rocked up for to vote. Yeah. Old grannies in you know in wheelchairs and with walkers and uh, young people. Everybody wanted to cast their vote. Yeah. I remember standing in line for three hours. That's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. Just to cast my vote.
1: I'm assuming a huge sense of pride in that, right? That people felt?
0: Very much so. You know, I think everybody was invested in making it work. I think everybody knew as well, if we blew it, then it would be chaos. Um, And there was no... Uh, like if there Mandela was n- didn't get elected, right oh, kind of thing. yeah. yeah or yeah. if we didn't vote, um, you know, before that there was a referendum. I see. I see. To um, uh, undo the uh, the apartheid yeah. laws, and um, we knew then that it, you co- we couldn't blow it. Yeah, it yeah. had to. We had to. It had to be carried through.
1: And it had to work, right? It had to work. <laughs> yeah. And
0: and you know, for better or worse, I mean, there's still. I, a lot of things that are not great in the country but as as a transition from apartheid to a open society I, I don't think there's another example in this in this world of how well it went absolutely and and how how open the the society became um, and i think i don't know if it's still the case but i remember years ago south africa's constitution was considered the most progressive in the world oh interesting yeah. i didn't know that yeah. well look at that yeah.
1: kudos to south africa yeah. <laughs> and
0: so it, you know it it was a, it was uh, it was again as all these things are a journey and a learning process yeah. and are there things that are still hard and difficult yes absolutely do I wish it was different? Yes. Um, but it's it's time, you
1: know. It is, and, and one of the things that we had talked about uh, prior to was just how your observation of coming to the United States that some of those things that existed very blatantly in South Africa weren't as blatant here, but very almost I mean, what you said was more dangerous, right? Yeah. You kind of elaborate on that, and what you saw when you first came to the United States.
0: You know, um, in, the, in South Africa we we knew that racism existed we knew uh that it it was overt mm-hmm. when we we were very shocked when we came to the us to uh see and understand get to grips with sorry yeah. to get to grips with the the racism here because we had the sense from years and years of uh, sanctions by the U.S. that there was no racism here.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, and then to come here and experience it as uh, subversive racism yeah. and um, underlying th- so in such a way that you can't put your arms around it and identify it, that was it. Was really shocking to us. And scary, I and mean, very scary. Yeah. I think it it's so much uh, more dangerous to have that type of um, underlying racism that isn't brought to the light. It's mm-hmm. like any anything that is um, unequal or uh, or isn't. Um, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Where there's no equity or fairness. Yeah, it, it's. If it's not if it's not righted or if it's not corrected, it, it's going to the pressure will keep building and eventually there's going to be a reckoning. You know? absolutely, absolutely. There will be consequences. And and it saddens me that uh, in in this in the, this 2021 that we're still struggling with something fundamentally as human.
1: As race. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and, and I think you hit the nail on the head before in our previous conversations that, you know, it really is hate. And, and that hate, yeah. you know, um, it, it stems from fear. Stems from fear. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, just in terms of growing up, that when people are surrounded by racism, it's, it's easy to see how, you know, being brought up in it or, or being surrounded by it, then one could be, you know, become that, right? Right. And, and see life from that lens. Right. But not for you. And, and kudos to your family and, and for, <laughs> for having that. But, you know, when did you realize that this was not right? Um, this this is not the way it's supposed mm. to be. Like, at what age did you figure that out? You
0: know, I, I remember very clearly um, in, in high school, uh, we, I had a, there was somebody in my class who was fiercely, Anti-racist, and um, I was like, what? "What are you talking about? I I have n- no clue. You know, this it's just what it is, because it was. That's what we understood mm-hmm. of life is separation: blacks versus whites. And then I I started working, um, and uh, I started working across the race lines, um, in several. Uh, in several areas of my work life. And I started working with people from um, from different cultures uh, and different races. And there's no difference between me and somebody else mm-hmm. from a basic human perspective. We're sure. you know, all God's creation. And... Um, It it was a slow awakening, I think, for me, to realize and recognize that um, there is no such thing as, or there should be no such thing as segregation, as apartheid, Mm -hmm. because it is just so immoral,
1: it's just just wrong,
0: it's just wrong. In fact, and this is another piece of my story that you don't know. Mm -hmm. um, When I was working for BP, um, I worked for a a wonderful, wonderful man um, who happened to be black. And he was the person that said to me one day, if you want to grow in your career, you need to leave this country. And well, and not the country, but he said, I needed to leave South Africa's BP and go to BP in a different country. Interesting. And he he saw my potential. And to this day, um, if you're listening, um, (laughs) you were the person that kicked my career into gear.
1: That's amazing.
0: He encouraged me to seek other opportunities. And if it wasn't for him, I would not be here. Wow. Yeah.
1: The power someone can have, that influence. Isn't you know,
0: that amazing? It
1: really, really yeah. is. Yeah. So so you took that advice and you went and took your family to... BP UK,
0: we did indeed. And yes. spent
1: two and a half years there right? spent
0: two and a half years there Tell
1: yeah. me about what it was like, because it seemed like you had such great memories uh, and friendships that you we
0: had there. we had great we it was a magical time. And my, my kids to this day, for them, they would say that was the most magical time mm-hmm. growing up. Um, so we lived on a cul de sac in a town called Cobham. It's Mm. a town outside of uh, of, I almost said Chicago, Uh, outside uh, of London. Uh Yeah. And um, we made friends with all the people around the cul-de-sac. And there were people from different cultures, different countries, several other expats, Mm -hmm. um, people from um, the US, people from uh, India, Canada. And um, for several years after we left the U.K., we still got together as a group oh, no of, of friends and went on vacations together. And,
1: and all from the same street, basically?
0: All from the same s- okay. cul-de-sac, more or less the same area. One family lived just around the corner from the cul-de-sac. Oh, but you're saying, and like, and really,
1: they, your neighbors, like, more than they, Right, yeah. absolutely.
0: We were all, and my kids would, you know, would be... Um, it, the reason I think it was so awesome for them is that people had kids similar ages, yeah. and the kids would literally be out on the street um, until until the uh, till mm-hmm. mid you know yeah, yeah. until night late hours right <laughs> until late hours. Summers were <laughs> but wonderful, but feeling safe it seems like
1: completely safe, yeah. completely safe. That's amazing. Yeah, and tell me about the postcard invitations. <laughs> that when you would get invited at nine o'clock someone was like a postcard. oh did, yes uh,
0: yes you know? yes the post-it notes so um yeah we would you know we would uh, go out and maybe go out for dinner and come home and there'd be a post-it note on the door saying uh, you know drinks in, ba- in the backyard at 9 p.m and we would all rock up in somebody's backyard. So that's and the
1: definition of community right that's there. That's the definition
0: that? of community. And you know, that's interesting that you say that because we're still friends yeah. with um, many of them. And they, they some of them live in pretty close to us. And we still have connectivity. And when things are, are hard or somebody's going through troubled times, um, we're still there for each other.
1: That's amazing. Yeah, That is amazing. So yeah. was it difficult to leave when... You know, that two and a half years came and the the Chicago opportunity presented itself?
0: Well, yes and no. Um, Yes, because it was so awesome. Mm -hmm. But no, we didn't know what the next uh, adventure would bring
1: could be more awesome. It
0: could be more awesome. That's
1: optimism. I love that. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And you know, by that time, um, my, my job Um, In the UK had gotten a bit stale, Mm -hmm. and I was ready for the next opportunity, and uh, so the US Presented itself and here we
1: are that's you know, so um, now how long did you spend in the US? uh, working at BP before you decided Corporate life no more and I'm gonna pursue this, you know life and leadership coaching uh, Entrepreneurship role.
0: Yeah, so we came to the US in 2007 and um, I left BP at the end of 2015. Mm. So, um, what's that? Seven, eight years. Yeah. yeah. And um, it was time. You know, I'd had a career of 16 years with BP. It was absolutely wonderful. I loved every moment of my time there. Um, I still believe it's an awesome organization mm-hmm. to work for and i do and i know i know oil companies are reviled but hey we all get around <laughs> well, I it's so interesting we're
1: such hypocrites right right you know, oil companies like, gonna, we have no problem going and, i know, have filling to go put, put yeah. some
0: gas in my car today right um and do i believe that we're moving in the right direction with renewables and absolutely mm-hmm. that is how we should be moving but um, as corporate citizens, um, I can speak for BP, and their heart was always in the right place.
1: That's great to hear.
0: And they really looked after their people.
1: Yeah.
0: you know, um, my, my family was well cared for uh, when we were expats. Even transitioning from being an expat in the US to being uh, just a regular person in the US working for BP, Um, was they did they really help their people and they really grew us as well when we you know um, and cared about their their people and as far as and i still have friends who work there they still do you know it's still a very caring organization that's awesome And
1: it seems like Um, you carried a lot into what you do into your professional work now right i mean well i think you attracted all of that anyway but (laughs) But, you know, the, the, the type of experiences you've had just really do seem like there's such a great fit for those that are looking for someone like you that could guide them through life. Because if it, you, you say life and leadership, but on this yeah. other side of it, you have 30 years of corporate experience. I mean, that's that's kind of a I big do. deal and traveling around and, you know, kind of doing the things that especially now we, you see with, you know, post-COVID and, and now people yeah. deciding, you know, if I'm going to work from home and where do I want to live and You know, some people stay in their little bubble, but maybe hearing your story, get inspired to to pack up and leave and go to a different country.
0: You know that. And it's so interesting that you say that, Tony, because people have said to me, but you're so brave to do that. And yeah, was it scary? Absolutely. You know, but it was also so exciting. And um, uh, at one point, my mother asked me, how? How do you think this is all going to work out with your kids? And I said, you know, flippantly, but in in truth, really, it's all a bit of an experiment. And I'll tell you when they're grown up, because I don't know. I didn't know.
1: <laughs> what an honest answer! What can you even say to that, right? look, like, Well, to be honest with you, I'm kind of just rolling the dice here. Yeah. And I'll let you know where they land. Yeah. You know.
0: Yeah. But you know, in that they got such great experience and exposure yeah. of different it's cultures. Priceless, uh, completely priceless. Yeah. And I think that they are who they are today because of the the exposure and, and the and they experience. Had great
1: parents, of course.
0: Oh, I'm. You know, they probably <laughs> wouldn't agree with you <laughs> on that. But you are so
1: positive, right? So, so take tell me through in, in terms of the coaching part. Where when did you decide that life and leadership coaching was the path that you wanted to take and not so much the, yeah. the, the corporate side of it.
0: So I got connected with somebody who is in the same church as I am. Um, and and he was... Uh, he had a leadership development franchise, uh, um, Leadership Management International. Gotcha. And I was seeking. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I didn't know where I where my next step was going to be. I was in my early 50s. I didn't really know if I wanted to go back into another corporate role, mm-hmm. or what? Or did I want to do my own thing? Did I want to start my own research business? Truly, by that time, I think I could have done research with my eyes closed, because I had done it for such a long time. For sure. And it was it wasn't so much a challenge anymore and I do like a challenge I do like <laughs> new things you probably would have figured that out by now while, yeah. you know moving across the world <laughs> the
1: way you've lived you lived your life right <laughs> exactly
0: um and uh and he said to me he's he started this business and he wants to expand and but he can't pay me he can he can pay me when he gets work (laughs) and um and so started my my uh, partnership with him I did the facilitation uh he did the sales and so but over time um I've become more of an integral part of the business I do some of the sales as well and I do absolutely love my clients and I nurture my clients
1: and I'm sure they love you I love them. <laughs> <laughs> it's a win-win, right?
0: Absolutely. And uh, so, and then, I met up with somebody else from Alami. Um, she runs a. She runs the Alami franchise in Central uh, Illinois, uh, in Peoria, and um, we became instant friends. She's just an amazing woman. Um, Karen Shorey is her name. And uh, she said, you know, I want to do a coaching certification. And she and I kicked it around a couple of times. And then she said to me, I've signed up. And if I bring a friend, um, my friend goes to the first weekend session, which is, a—I think it was a Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, or Mm -hmm. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I can't remember now, um, for free. And I said, okay, sign me up. (laughs) I'm there. And the rest is sort of history because it became, I was compelled to continue the class. It was about a nine month period um, that the class continued and um, it just opened my eyes to so many intricacies of who we are as humans. And the the need, the deep need in this world for people to partner with somebody that can sort of give you that support on your journey, that isn't gonna tell you what to do, like a parent or mm-hmm. a boss, but is going to help you figure out things for yourself and decide what you want, firstly, and then, how are you gonna get there? You know, we're so good, often, at setting goals, or, <laughs> you know, this at, it, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> January 1st, and I, this is um, my New Year's resolution, mm-hmm. and come, you know, February 28th, haven't got it, you know, yeah, nothing didn't happened. haven't even started, nothing, Haven't yeah, even yeah. started. So um, it, it was revolutionary for me when I went through the IPEC classes. Um,
1: and now, when you say revolutionary, was it was it the revolutionary part? Was it the learning part? Or was it also understanding that maybe some of the things in the way you've been living your life align with a lot of those principles?
0: I think both and, yeah. uh, but it also expanded my view. And, and I think that is for me one of the most amazing things that I've sort of experienced throughout my life is every time I think that this is my life something happens and this becomes my life yeah. and something happens and this becomes my life and it just grows and we are today who we are because of every single day we've lived up to now absolutely tomorrow we're going to be just that tiny little bit different yep. and that to me is the magic of being human is our uh, what we do is the is a path of growth path of learning
1: i've always heard the key to happiness is progress that's one of yeah. the things i've heard that as long as you're yeah. progressing yeah, right. you find happiness in that but when you stop oh it's when you feel that depression absolutely and that anxiety yeah that, you know.
0: yeah no i totally agree with you it, it's about is there something there tomorrow that i'm looking forward to yeah and everybody's journey is different not everybody is going to uh, you know uh, change continents every two years yeah. and not everybody's going to change a, a career you know in their 50s yeah. but we all do grow in our own unique ways and it it's about stepping into your own power stepping into who you want to be and how who you
1: were created to be I love that. Yeah. I love that so much. Yeah. yeah. And and you know, and that's the thing I think we need that is not to be empowered, right? Because we are so powerful, but we haven't stepped into it like you right. said. It's not that we, right. we're owning it, right? Yeah. So so yeah, like when you when you meet people and they're just uh, I don't know, like or or people listening, right? Uh watching that think I want that. I want what she has, but uh I don't know. Like, what would you <laughs> tell people like that?
0: Don't be Don't uh, don't be afraid of fear. Fear is the thing that holds us back and that prevents us from taking risks. And um, fear is fear is the enemy. Don't go there. Don't go there. It's okay to be fearful. Let's be honest. I mean, the, the our whole Uh, It's the lizard brain. (laughs) I have a client who calls it her pigeon brain. (laughs) Our amygdala is is designed to kick in the moment we experience something that we think is going to be dangerous. Mm -hmm. But as humans, we have the capability to go beyond that. We don't have to give in to fear. We can see beyond fear and we can say okay i know i'm scared but i'm not going to be paralyzed or i'm not going to flee and of course you can fight but the point really is because those are your our three reactions right. to fear um is to take a beat say okay i am here i'm scared what am i going to do next and then as your cognitive brain kicks in, you start thinking, okay, maybe I want to do this. Maybe I want to do that. Or maybe I just want to be. And we have that power, we can make those decisions. We're always that choice.
1: It's great advice. (laughs) Well, if you're listening, and that sounds like you and first and foremost, reach out to Renee either way, because <laughs> she's a wonderful person and at the very least to, to make a friend. But, you know, I would encourage you if, if that does sound like your story and, and you're, you're leaning more towards the fear, you know, take that risk, reach out to Renee. Um, she'd love to be your coach. But, yeah, you know, Renee, just a, a wealth of wisdom and just uh, so much positivity that thank you. You know, I always appreciate having a conversation with you. So thank you.
0: Likewise. Thank you very much, Tony.
1: Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you.